people, you have covered all our sins. Because of Christ, you have withdrawn all your wrath. You have turned from your hot anger. Therefore, we pray, build up, O God, of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? May we see the church of Christ grow in number and in spiritual strength, and be a great force for good in this sad, dark world. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation in ever-increasing measure. Let us hear you speak, for you have promised to speak peace to your people, to your saints. But let us not turn back to folly. Surely your salvation is near to those who fear you, that glory may dwell in your church. We praise you that your steadfast love and faithfulness have met together, that righteousness and peace have kissed each other at the cross, where you revealed your great righteousness in punishing our sin, but also revealed your great love in taking that punishment on yourself in the person of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we might be forgiven. Your faithfulness springs up from the ground, even as Christ has been raised from the dead, and your righteousness looks down from the sky, even as Christ watches over us from your throne. Yes, Lord, you will give what is good. You will build your church, even as Christ has promised, and make it increase. Righteousness will go before you and make your footsteps a path for us to follow. May we be given grace to follow day by day. Father, we beseech you that you would be near to each and every one who is gathered here today and uh, who joins with us uh, at home. We pray, O oh Father, that we may experience your nearness and your blessing. We pray, O oh Father, that you would have mercy upon our land and upon this world that is still plagued by a pandemic. We pray that you would give us wisdom in measuring risk assessment and how that risk may change with the advent of a vaccine and how we may proceed in wisdom in the future. Well, Father, give us wisdom and insight as to what is best uh, for the Church of Jesus Christ and for our society. Give our leaders uh, in society and in the church uh, wisdom to uh, rule wisely and well for the building up of the Church of Jesus Christ and the glory of your name. We pray, Father, that you would protect the lives of the elderly that are endangered by this virus. We pray that you would be close to each one and uh, enable us to uh, know that you are watching over us and not a hair can fall from our head except it be your will. We remember again the residents of our senior facilities, John Vanderhaar and Gary Beekhuizen, Irene Blum and Maddie Bogarts and Clarence Minders, Marlon Marilyn Van Gorp and Leona Zylstra and Lois Klein and uh, Celia DeVries and Nellie Van Wyck. Be with these and others, O Lord, uh, that they may know your nearness and presence in their lives and know that uh, you are caring for them. We pray, Father, for uh, the students of our congregation, particularly our college students who are away from home. Uh, keep them in the power of your love and to care and provide uh, richly for their uh, spiritual needs as well as for their material needs and enable them to prepare well for whatever calling you have in store for them. 
We pray, Father, that you would uh, be with our sister churches in Canada that are under strict uh, regulations. And we pray that you would give them wisdom to know how to deal with that and that uh, the spiritual needs of the congregations may be met and that the, uh, your people may be faithful to you in all things. We pray for our missionaries, O Lord. We remember together with other uh, United Reformed Churches today the work of Reverend Mitch Prasad, church planter in Scarborough, Ontario. We pray for endurance for the leaders of that congregation, considering the loss of uh, one elder and uh, a deacon who has taken ill. We pray that you would uh, raise up leaders in that congregation that uh, will give a wise and good leadership uh, after the example of the Chief Shepherd, Jesus Christ. We uh, thank you that the congregation has stayed together in this difficult time of trouble and pray that you would continue to unite them in love and service to one another and to the community around them. And we pray, Father, for those who have lost jobs or lost time in school, uh, those who are otherwise uh, frustrated by the uh, restrictions that have been placed upon us, Father, uh, give them patience and perseverance in faith, knowing that uh, all things work together for good for your people, for those called according to your purposes. Uh, we, we know that as we strive to serve you, you will uh, abundantly bless us and pray that you would help them uh, there in Canada and in uh, Scarborough, Ontario. Father, we pray also for our missionary in Ecuador. Uh, Reverend Londasari and those who labor with him there. We pray that you would bless the uh, outreach to the community, that they may continue to reach out and uh, see uh, more people come to faith in Christ. We pray for the uh, second uh, worship center that has been started, that uh, it may grow also and that you would provide uh, for their needs. O oh Lord, uh, be with us in the week that is ahead to uh, keep us from uh, danger and from the power of the evil one. May we walk in faith and in love before you, uh, showing our love for you by our love for one another. Bless us also as we bring our offerings this evening that we may uh, honor you with our gifts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us continue to worship uh, God in song, singing uh, selection uh, 119M. Oh, how I love your holy law. We'll stand and sing the four stanzas. Stand if you're able, singing the four stanzas of 119M.
Our scripture lesson is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, page 800, page 1358, 1358 in the Pew Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13 and reading through the end of the chapter. First Thessalonians 4, verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, who are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. As far as the reading of God's Word, may he add his blessing to it. In conjunction with it, I invite you to look at the Heidelberg Catechism on page 881 in the back of the Psalter Hymnal, page 881, (coughs) Lord's Day 22 on the second column. Considering again the articles of the Apostles' Creed as a summary of the Christian faith that we confess and believe, and we deal with with those articles dealing with the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Lord's Day 22, question and answer 57. How does the resurrection of the body comfort you? Not only will my soul be taken immediately after this life to Christ its head, but also my very flesh, raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. How did this article concerning life everlasting comfort you? Even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, so after this life I will have perfect bliss, such as no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart has ever imagined, a blessedness in which to praise God eternally. Beloved of the Lord, Christians are sometimes criticized for being so heavenly-minded that they are of no earthly use. And as we turn our attention now to the resurrection and life everlasting, some might wonder, indeed, does this have any practical benefit for us today to confess these things? Yes, uh, we ought to confess them, but... Why spend so much time on them? It's uh, something that doesn't concern now. Well, it is something which concerns now. There's a passage in Hebrews 12, I think I've brought to your attention more than once in the last six months, that uh, for the joy that was set before him, he, that is Christ, endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And what that means is that the cross was very difficult. 
It was a very present trial, a very here and now thing. But because of the joy that he anticipated, he was able to get through it. The anticipation of joy is uh, what gives us strength to, uh, to persevere. Uh, one uh, modern preacher says that uh, uh, courage is not the absence of fear. It's the presence of joy. Courage is not the absence of fear, it's the presence of joy. The more joy we have and the more joy we anticipate, the more courageous and strong we are for this world and the work that we are called to do in this world. And it's with that in mind that we begin to look now at these subjects that are before us. And there are three things that we want to concern ourselves with. The condition of the soul after uh, physical death, secondly, the resurrection of the body, and thirdly, eternal life. First of all, the matter of the condition of the soul after death. Now, we have to uh, recognize that the Bible doesn't say a lot about this. and It does say a few things, but it doesn't say a lot. And the reason it doesn't say a lot is because uh, the condition of the soul after death is is not the main thing. It's uh, a temporary thing. It is what theologians call the intermediate state. It's part of our pilgrimage, and we want to get beyond it to the real thing, the final thing, and the beginning of the, the new creation and so forth. And so the Bible doesn't want to tempt us <laughs> with uh, a lot of material so that we, we focus all our attention on this. It's, it's already the case that in, in the general mind of, of the world, uh, as far as they are concerned, the only thing Christians are concerned with is going to heaven after they die. Uh, they don't think uh, of us anticipating the resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth. And, and because the world thinks that way, and we live in the world, it sometimes happens that Christians themselves, um, in spite of the fact that the Bible doesn't say a lot about it, just to try to guard against this, in spite of that, Christians also only think about the fact that when I die, I go to heaven, and that's it. And uh, we don't think about what is beyond. But although the Bible doesn't say a lot, it does say some some good things, and we want to consider some of those good things. Uh, first of all, uh, some Christians, uh, because there isn't a lot, they, they misunderstand and uh, they embrace some false ideas. And one false idea that is embraced is that there is no life after death. <laughs> uh, that is, until uh, the resurrection. That the word soul is simply a synonym for the word life. And that when you die, you lose your life, therefore you don't have a soul. There is no soul to, to go to be with God in heaven. Uh, that's one error that some people fall into. But uh, the Bible does clearly affirm that we have souls that exist in, in addition to our physical bodies. Um, the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians uh, 12, verse 2 uh, 
And now I'm not sure whether Second Corinthians or First Corinthians, but I'm pretty sure it's twelve too. But in one of those passages, one of the, one of those places, uh, uh, he says, uh, "I know a man," and he's he's talking about himself in the third person, whether absent from the body, um, whether in the body or out of the body, was uh, taken up to the third heaven, and uh, he speaks about whether in the body or out of the body. In other words, he he contemplates that there could be an out-of-body experience, that the soul could be separated from the body. And uh, he says, perhaps that's what I experienced when I was taken up to the third heaven and saw things that I can't uh, uh, talk about. He also uh, speaks at another place about being absent from the body and present with the Lord. Well, if if there is no soul that can be absent from the body, then you can't be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Uh, he also speaks about death as departing to be with the Lord. Well, if if we just have a body and a life in that body, and when we die, the life uh, force goes out, the light, the light goes out, the life goes out, or whatever, and uh, it's just the body, the body goes in the ground. How, how is that going to be with the Lord? There has to be something else that goes to be with the Lord. The author of Ecclesiastes describes death in this way in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. So there is something that exists in us that is different than our physical nature. We have a spiritual nature also. We have a soul. And uh, when we die, body and soul are separated and go in separate ways. The body returns to the dust. The spirit returns to God who gave it. In our text, uh, uh, Paul says when Jesus returns, he will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. What's he bringing? Uh, Their bodies aren't with him in heaven. We know Jesus ascended to heaven. Their bodies are in the grave. How can... uh, He brings something of them with him unless there is something in addition to the body that uh, exists, namely our souls. He will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. That's one error that is, uh, I think, easily uh, disproven from uh, an examination of the Scriptures. Another is to acknowledge the existence of the soul, but to say that uh, the soul has no conscious existence uh, after Uh, death and uh, doesn't wake up until the resurrection Uh, this is sometimes called soul sleep and uh, it is believed that uh, in Martin Luther's early years he believed in a kind of soul sleep although later on in life uh, he rejected that idea but uh, this comes from the fact that I think three times in our text there is a reference to those who have died as those who have fallen asleep. Uh, Paul uses that language. Jesus used that language. He said it of Lazarus, that Lazarus has fallen asleep. And uh, the disciple says, well, if he's sleeping, then maybe he'll get better. And Jesus says, no, I mean, he's, he's dead. Uh, fallen asleep is a, a nice way of saying death. And uh, that's something that the scripture uses, a, a euphemism. A euphemism is something that's designed to take the, the rough edge off something and make it sound a little better. And Jesus does that for a very good reason. 
not because souls go to sleep. He does it because the sting of death has been removed. Death is not a terrible thing anymore. Death is no more to be feared than sleep. When a person dies, their body looks like they're just sleeping. Uh, That's one reason he uh, uses that uh, euphemism. And the other, uh, the main reason is that uh, the sting of death has been removed. It's not a terrible thing for the Christian anymore and uh, is not to be feared any more than going to sleep. But do the souls actually sleep? Well, I think the scripture is pretty clear that that's not the case. Jesus tells parables, and parables are made-up stories, but the made-up stories always conform to reality. They're not uh, fantasy stories. And uh, in the one story, uh, uh, there's a rich man and Lazarus, and both have died, and both are wide awake in heaven, and so is Abraham wide awake in heaven, and they're interacting with one another, they're talking with one another, their bodies are still on the earth, their bodies have returned to the dust, but their spirits are in heaven in that parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, but unfortunately you won't know it because you'll be asleep. Uh, that's not what Jesus said to him. He comforted the man by assuring him that in, in that very day they would be together and uh, the man would be able to experience it and enjoy being together with the Lord in paradise. The Apostle Paul says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Well, you know, in this life, we have fellowship with Jesus Christ. We have fellowship with him through his word. We have fellowship with him through his indwelling spirit. We have fellowship uh, with him through fellowship with other Christians with whom, in whom Christ is dwelling. We, ha- we have blessed fellowship. Uh, John writes, uh, I write these things to you that you might have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we have fellowship in this life. But Paul says to depart is better. Now, if departing means you're sound asleep and you're not aware of your surroundings and your, you, your spirit may be there with the Lord, but you don't know it, how is that better? How is that having fellowship? No, the promise is of greater fellowship. Uh, to live is Christ. To die is gain. So there is uh, ample proof Uh, I think the clincher uh, against the idea of soul sleep is Revelation chapter 6, where John sees uh, a vision, and in the vision he sees reality. And in that reality he sees the souls of the martyrs uh, crying out to God, uh, pleading with God. Uh, By the way, what they're saying is, How long, O Lord? Which shows us that although they have blessed fellowship in heaven, Uh, They recognize that this isn't all there is. There's more to come, and and they're looking forward to that more which is to come. And uh, they cry out to him, uh, how long, O Lord? Thus death for the believers, uh, there is an unnatural, (laughs) temporary separation of body and spirit. The body returns to to the dust. Uh, The spirit uh, goes to be with uh, Christ in heaven to await the resurrection of the body. Now, this truth has 
great practical significance for all of us who have lost loved ones. We are greatly comforted to know that those of our loved ones who have died in the Lord, who have uh, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, their spirits are now with God in heaven. They are rejoicing around the throne of God with the angels and with all the others who have gone on before. Uh, They know much closer, more intimate fellowship. Uh, They, for us to live is Christ and uh, to die is gain, they have that gain. And uh, we are comforted now. We miss them, but we're comforted to know that they are in the presence of the Lord. And so, This has always been a great comfort to Christians when they are bereaved of their loved ones. But uh, uh, we mustn't uh, think too much of this again, because it is the intermediate state. It is a temporary thing. Peter writes in his first uh, epistle, 1 Peter 1, verse 13, he says there, Prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying life is tough, so get ready for a tough life. And instead of looking for your reward now, instead of looking for an easy life now, he says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be given to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the revelation of Jesus Christ means when he comes again in his glory, his great parousia. The parousia is the glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ when he uh, comes again on the clouds. Uh, that's what the Apostle Paul is writing here in First Thessalonians 4. He says, uh, you know, the, the trump will resound, the Lord will descend, he'll bring with him those who have fallen asleep and Uh, comfort one another with these words that focus on the glory that will be revealed to you, the grace that will be given to you when Christ comes again. We're happy to know that our spirits go to be with God, but our hope, our hope is set on the grace that will be given to us at the uh, glorious appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we believe that when we die, our spirits go to be with God in heaven. But now, what about the resurrection of the body? Uh, this, of course, is something that uh, goes against the grain of, of uh, rationalism and uh, scientism. There was a, a German uh, theologian, a liberal German theologian in the 19th century who uh, denied the, the resurrection, and he simply said, the dead don't rise. You know, that just doesn't happen. Uh, why should you and I, still in this modern age of science where we've never seen anybody resurrected from the dead? Oh, I know there have been people on the operating table who uh, uh, were declared dead and then were resuscitated. But that's, that's not quite the same thing as being in a grave for three, uh, the better part of three days and then coming to life again. Or uh, being dead for centuries and then coming to life again. Why should we believe in a resurrection? Well, let me give you two reasons. Very powerful reasons. God has promised it. He's promised to do it. And God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, who speaks things into existence, who said, let there be light, and there was light, who created this world out of nothing. 
A God who has the power to create out of nothing certainly has the power to create out of something because the, the, the resurrection is not, again, a creation ex nihilo, a creation out of nothing. It is uh, the recreation of our bodies from the, the material that was once uh, our bodies. We are resurrected from the grave. He promises it. Uh, the promise was first seen in the, uh, in the, in the life of uh, uh, Enoch, uh, yeah, Enoch, who uh, did not die in, in the book of Genesis. Uh, God showed the ancient patriarchal world. He showed them that uh, death is not the last word. Uh, I, God is saying, I am more powerful than death. I can rescue you from death. And so he took Enoch, and Enoch uh, did not die. Uh, Elijah also was taken to heaven without death, and uh, uh, the prophet also uh, raised a child from death in the Old Testament. And Christ raised uh, at least three people from the dead, the widow's son at Nain, the little girl, uh, Jairus' daughter, and uh, Lazarus raised uh, from the dead. We, we have seen that God has the power to do it, and uh, therefore we should not doubt the promise. God has promised to do it. That's one reason. And the second reason why we should believe in the resurrection of the dead is because uh, it's already started. <laughs> uh, the resurrection unto new glorious life has already begun with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the first fruits, Christ the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. Christ is coming and uh, will raise up our bodies from the dead and give us uh, new bodies even as he has been raised. So God has promised it and it has already begun. There were 500 witnesses who knew that Christ had been declared dead, that Christ had been put in the tomb, that he was there for part of three different days, and then was seen by over 500 witnesses that he was alive again. Many of those uh, witnesses uh, uh, were threatened with death uh, to get them to uh, change their story. None of them changed their story, even though they were put to death, even though they were martyred, they did not recant their witness to the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And so we believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now, what will this resurrection be like? Well, the resurrection consists of raising of our present bodies, as I said, not a, a new creation. We saw that with regard to the new heavens and the new earth. It's not, again, creation out of nothing, but it's taking what Satan has ruined and showing that God is more powerful than Satan and God can put it all back together again. Now, that seems really uh, uh, difficult. You know that uh, people have died centuries ago. Their body has turned to dust. That dust has been scattered. That dust maybe has been become part of plants. Those plants have been eaten and consumed by animals, and people have uh, consumed the animals, and the, the same molecules, same atoms or whatever, have been recycled in different bodies uh, down through the ages. Uh, I don't know how it's going to work, but God has promised to do it, and God who created this vast universe uh, and uh, created the uh, intricacies of, of uh, molecular science that uh, are just astounding to 
to see all the complexity of this creation. God, a God who can do that, can do this great work. Uh, we should not uh, doubt that he will do it. Now, the resurrection consists of a glorious transformation and renewal of our present bodies. Uh, Paul says in Philippians 3, And we eagerly await a Savior, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under control, will transform our lowly bodies, so that they will be like his glorious body. He writes in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, The body that is sown is is perishable. It will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Again, perishable becomes imperishable. Right now, our bodies are wasting away day by day. Every day we move a step closer to the grave. we're, We're falling apart, literally. But our new bodies won't be like that. They will be imperishable. Uh, right now, our bodies are dishonored. They get sick and uh, uh, diseased and, and also uh, injured and all sorts of things uh, uh, happen to us. Uh, we uh, get stooped with age and, and so forth. You know, we, we're not all glorious Captain America flexing our muscles. Uh, uh, we're, we're weak and getting weaker and weaker, but not in the new life. Then we will be uh, all glorious and will be uh, strong always. Uh, now we're weak, then we are powerful. And then he says, now a natural body, then a spiritual body. Uh, this has caused some speculation that our resurrected bodies will be immaterial, that is not made of physical substance, but will be uh, spiritual, ethereal not uh, fleshly, but uh, that is to misunderstand the word spiritual. Uh, If I were to use the expression steam engine, steam engine, would you imagine an engine made of steam? No, I think not. You would imagine an engine made of steel empowered by steam, made of steel powered by steam. That's what a steam engine is. Now, transfer that to the phrase spiritual body. Does that mean the body is made of only spirit and not of corporal substance? No, it is made of corporal substance, as was Jesus' body. Look, he says, see my hands, see the hole in my side, touch me, give me food to eat. He had a very real physical body. But it is a body empowered by the Spirit. Uh, in even greater power than we have now. Uh, The fact that our bodies will be imperishable will be uh, the ongoing work of the Spirit uh, within us. We have spiritual bodies in that God's Spirit will be in us, uh, making us imperishable, making us glorious, making us powerful, and uh, thus a spiritual body. Christ uh, was recognizable in his physical uh, in his resurrected body as were also Elijah and uh, Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration Uh, there'll be continuity in that regard also some uh, fear that uh, or hope I think 
that we won't be able to recognize one another in the resurrection because if we were able to recognize one another in the resurrection, we might uh, note that there are people missing and that would make us sad. But uh, I believe that our perspective will grow in the, the resurrection to the point where we recognize that everything that God did uh, was good and right and everything that God did was glorious and uh, there'll be no uh, no more tears in heaven. The, uh, the practical application of this truth is that for you who are, uh, like me, uh, a senior citizen, who are experiencing uh, incremental decline in physical ability, the, the body wasting away uh, at a much faster rate than it has uh, previously, uh, we have this comfort and assurance that although we are outwardly wasting away, we will be made whole and well again in the resurrection. What we are experiencing now is a trial. It's difficult. It's in part to uh, wean us of the love of this world and to set our hope fully on the grace that will be revealed rather than set our, help, uh, set our hope on uh, glorious golden years in retirement here on earth. Uh, no, uh, God never promised us glorious golden years of retirement here on earth. He said instead, uh, the righteous will experience many tribulations. Uh, in this world, you will have tribulation. Um, and uh, our hope is not in this life. Our hope is in the life to come and in the resurrection. But then that brings us to the third thing that we confess we believe in, and that is eternal life. God promises eternal life to all those who believe in His Son. God so loved the world that He gave His Son that whoever believes in Him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. Eternal life. Uh, in Luke 18, verse 30, Jesus says to those who forsake everything and follow Him, as we uh, considered the disciples uh, last uh, Sunday morning, left everything and followed him. He says, uh, they receive manifold more in the present time and in the world to come, life everlasting. Life everlasting. To, the, to those who uh, show that their faith is real by following Christ, you are assured of eternal life. But as the Catechism reminds us, this eternal life begins... Now, whoever, John 6, verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has, present tense, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So having eternal life is something you can have now before the resurrection on the last day. Uh, again, eating and drinking mean uh, believing in Jesus. Uh, that's how we eat and drink. We put our faith in him. John 17, verse 3, Jesus' high priestly prayer. He says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Well, knowing God and knowing Christ is something that we can experience already in this life, and, and that's the essence of eternal life. But the present nature of eternal life is only a, a shadowy beginning of the glorious future, which is beyond anything that we can imagine. Uh, eternal life... Uh, I don't know if I said this this morning or not. Uh, uh, it, it's not eternal existence. It's eternal fulfillment. 
not just eternal existence, but eternal fulfillment. Uh, remember uh, the distinction between bios and zoe. Bios is uh, existence, life as existence, but zoe is life as fulfillment, quality of life. And that's what, what eternal life is. You know, eternal existence, eternal bios, is really synonymous with, with hell. Because uh, eternal existence means uh, not having a relationship with God. We were created in His image to know Him, to love Him, to serve with Him, above all, to be with Him. And if we don't have that, but we do have eternal existence, then we will be eternally miserable. You know, there's... uh, is some science fiction works, and they are purely science fiction, I'm sure, of some human beings who have discovered how to cheat death, how to overcome death. And usually the, the character in this work of fiction who lives a thousand years is very lonely and very sad because uh, he can't form any lasting relationships. He may fall in love, uh, maybe a man, he's a man and he falls in love with a woman, but the woman only lives for 70 years and dies, and his heart is broken. So he tries again, and again his heart is broken, and he doesn't like that anymore. So the only way to protect yourself from a broken heart is not to fall in love. And so he, he becomes a recluse and draws with, uh, away from people and lives a lonely existence. He has eternal existence, but he can't, he can't have any meaningful relationships. Well, that's, that's hell, because... We were meant for relationship. It's not good for us to be alone because God has never been alone. We need relationships, and and the relationship we need the most is a relationship with Him. And without that, it's hell. And so we don't want eternal existence. We want eternal life. We want eternal life in the presence of God. And uh, no eye has seen or ear heard or has it entered into the mind of man how wonderful and glorious that will be. Again, uh, is there any practical application in confessing this now? Uh, well, John writes in uh, his uh, first epistle, John, First John 3, verse 3, everyone who has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. That is, we have been declared righteous, But because we know that this is where we're going and this is what's going to happen to us, we we have incentive to live more and more holy lives, to strive to add to our faith godliness and to godliness self-control and to self-control brotherly love and and so forth, to to seek uh, to put to death the old nature and and put on the new nature more and more uh, because we know that that there's so much ahead of us And as we do that, as we considered a couple of weeks ago, uh, we hasten from from our perspective, not from God's perspective. But the the sooner the church is ready and makes itself ready, uh, the sooner he'll come from our perspective, not from his perspective. So, uh, again, this provides incentive for for righteous, godly living. And uh, as we mentioned, this was what kept Jesus going, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. This life is a hard life. This life is a pain-filled life. In this life, you will have tribulation. 
This life wasn't meant to be easy. We're told to take up our cross daily, deny ourselves, and follow Jesus. That's voluntary suffering. And then there is involuntary suffering as we share in the sufferings of Christ. Uh, There's a lot of suffering in this life. But we are given strength to persevere as we look forward in faith to going to be with God when we die and being resurrected when he comes again and entering into eternal fulfillment, eternal blessedness in a wonderful relationship with him. May God give you such faith. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, glorious, uh, tr- these glorious truths uh, summarized in the confessions, taught in the Word, uh, that uh, fill our hearts with hope in anticipation of great things to come. May you uh, work such faith in our hearts and strengthen that faith day by day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us respond to God's Word by singing together selection number 512, Jesus Lives, So Shall I. Stand if you're able and sing all the stanzas.
The deacon shall receive your offering as we exit after the service. Our concluding song is number 150A, Hallelujah, Praise the Lord. The three stanzas of 150A. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon, lift up his face upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.